offices of Christ, we know that he is a prophet, one who teaches us because we're foolish and ignorant. He is also one who is our great high priest, and we need a high priest to intercede for us because we are sinful. But he is also our king, and we want to speak about that role, that office that he fulfills for us. Those are three offices from the Old Testament, all of them combined in Jesus Christ. We have been looking at living between the two advents, between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ that has been promised but is not yet. So we're living in the already of the coming of Christ and in a real sense the kingdom that has come. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, It has come with the king who has come, but we're also knowing that he's going to come again. So we're in between the already of that kingdom and that king and the not yet. Um, And so this is the already and the not yet of the messianic king. And I think as we live in this world and having just come through another election, which are, I'm glad they're over, but uh, we look at the world around us and we think of um, those who rule and reign throughout history and all of the horrible things uh, as we read in our history books about leaders Um, Some of them very, very wicked, wicked leaders. We think of Hitler's and Stalin's. I was in uh, Romania and I saw the place where Nikolai Ceausescu had bulldozed down a village of people, squatters is what they were, very poor, just like uh, cardboard houses, because he wanted a view of the river from his palace. So he bulldozed that all down. Of course, the people had nowhere to go. They they had to flee and go other places. And um, this is the stuff that history books are made of. Um, And there's a longing, I think, in all of us, oh, for a king, someone who would rule and have power and rule with justice and rule with righteousness and be a good and peaceful leader. Even when we have good leaders, um, they're flawed and they are fallible, and they're often thwarted by others. But there's something that I think is in all of us to have a good king, as it were, to rule over us, to care for us, and who had the power to do so. And that might seem like a pipe dream to many, you know, the utopia of having a, a, a state in which there was peace and righteousness and a good ruler, But really, this is the story of the Bible. It's not a pipe dream. This is something that is promised to us in our Lord Jesus Christ, that he is a king, a righteous king, a good king. And so we want to think about that tonight. First of all, the promise of a messianic king. And there are many passages, I think, as we go back to the Old Testament, that we could go to that speak to us about the promise of a coming Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, and uh, there are various aspects of uh, prophecies made concerning him, but some of these have to do with him as a king, as a ruler. Um, I think the first promise is in Genesis 3.15 about the serpent crusher. That's the one we began with in this series, Um, that there would come one from the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the great enemy of God and the enemy of his people. And 
I think by inference here is a picture of a, a ruling sovereign king who, who will uh, defeat his enemies. And then we have Jacob giving his blessing. Um, he's the grandson of Abraham. Abraham was told in about 2000 BC that he would have a seed that would come and he would bring blessing to all the earth. And uh, here in Jacob, as he's about to die and he's speaking with his sons down in Egypt, he is pronouncing a blessing. Genesis 49.10, the scepter, as he's speaking to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. This was about 1850 B.C. The scepter speaks of a king, of a ruler, and he's going to come from the line of Judah. And what city was Jesus from, David from? Um, Judah. Remember, that's where uh, they had to go back to Judah uh, in the days of the census, uh, Mary and, and Joseph, back to Bethlehem. And this was in Judah. And here's promised, one who will be a lawgiver, and to him will be the obedience of the people given to. And then, of course, a covenant that was made with King David. And 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your father's I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this is about 1,000 B.C. Abraham and Jacob, around 2,000. Here's 1,000, another prophecy made. And then we have in about 700 B.C., we have Isaiah writing the well-known words, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then it says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, in order to establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will be accomplished. And then Jeremiah 23, 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And then Micah, familiar verse to us, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel and whose goings forth are from of old, from of everlasting. This too is in the time of Isaiah, about 700 years before Christ. So what we find as we look at the Old Testament prophecies, there's the promise, the anticipation of one who will come, and he'll be many things, but among uh, them is that he will be a king. He will be a sovereign king. The government will rest on his shoulders. Um, he will be unique. Micah says that his goings forth were from of old, from everlasting. Isaiah spoke of him as being uh, one who, uh, who would be a counselor, 
who would be an everlasting father, um, one who would never die but be fatherly, and he would be a wonderful counselor. Um, His government will lead to peace. He would be the prince of peace. His scepter will be a scepter of righteousness and truth and justice, and he will shepherd his people, and their hearts will welcome him, and to him will be the obedience of his people. And his kingdom will have no end. He will rule and reign forever. There's quite a few wonderful Old Testament passages that look to the coming of the Messiah and his being a king of this nature. And so what do we find with the advent, the already? Well, we simply have to look at the birth narratives. And right off the bat, we learn, don't we, that this one that is born is this promised king. And so we hear these words of the angel to Mary in Luke 1. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What does Matthew do? But he begins his gospel giving us a genealogy of the king, the one who comes from David, from Abraham. And we also know the story, don't we, of the wise men who come from the east. An amazing thing. Here is this one that is born in Bethlehem, and here are these men, Gentiles, far away coming, and what is their question? Where is he that's what? born the king of the Jews. That's an amazing thing that they were, they had knowledge of this, probably somehow regarding the exile when Israel uh, was in exile. They probably had things that they learned while they were in exile there in Babylon. But they were looking for the one that was the king of the Jews. And, uh, of course, they said he's down there, as they looked in the scriptures, he's down there in Bethlehem. This is where Micah said that he would be born. And so the birth narratives, what did they say to us? But the king is here. The king has come. And when Jesus begins preaching, that's what he says. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. And then we have Jesus in his, in his ministry. Uh, we see there that it is a kingly, the inferences about his kingship are there. When Nathaniel uh, had met Jesus, he went and he got Philip. And Philip was brought and he says this, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. You're the king of Israel. He put those pieces together. And in Matthew 21, in the triumphal entry, there's a quote from Zechariah 9.9, and it says, this took place so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. However, as we follow the story of this king, the one that is born, it's not like the story of the kings and the queens in England that, you know, had, well, their lives weren't all that easy, but they lived, you know, and. A uh, nice palace and uh, had a lot of nice things that were offered to them. But here is Jesus, 
and uh, things don't go the way we might think for one who is royalty, who is a sovereign king, who has come from heaven itself. Things don't quite turn out the way that we might think. And this king is going to wear a most unusual crown, isn't he? It's not a regal crown. And here we are in John 18, if you are there. And uh, here is Jesus as he is before Pilate. And we read in verse 33. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And this is what the the religious leaders were saying. He's made himself out to be this king, and it's treason. He needs to be put to death. And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to, the Jew, uh, delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He who is of the truth, he who has been taught of my father, he will hear my voice. It's interesting. We we hear the apostle John saying this even about the apostolic ministry. I think it's in 1 John 4. Uh, 9, 419 maybe, I don't remember where it is. Yeah, 1 John 4, 6. And, and the Apostle John says, those who hear our words and receive them, they are of God. So just as Jesus says, those who receive my word and, and, and I bear witness to the truth, um, they have, um, they are of the truth. And so the Apostle John says this as well. He who receives, she who receives apostolic witness, they are of the truth. They are of the Lord. And it goes on and says, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to them, I find no fault in him at all. And then the incident with Barabbas and then Jesus is handed over by Pilate in verse chapter 19. So then Pilate took Jesus, scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again, and he said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. You remember the sign that Jesus or that Pilate put over the cross? This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And the Jews didn't like that. You know, he said he was the king of the Jews, but we don't accept that. But anyway, here is Jesus himself saying, yes, I have come for this very reason. I have come. 
and I indeed am a king. And as we think of the ministry of Jesus, again, his advent, his coming as a king, wearing a crown of thorns and dying such a humiliating death, this was a disappointing end for many in Israel, as many had hoped that he was the Messiah. But here is this one whose story does not go quite the way they were expecting. Michael Card said this, he said, Jesus shattered the expectation of those who were looking for another Messiah. They thought the Christ would have servants, not be a servant. They could imagine him killing the Romans, but not dying for the Romans. Jesus with a towel and a basin shattered all expectations because this king came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. But the story of the king doesn't end here, does it? The story goes on. And uh, in Luke 24, as Jesus meets with the two on the road to Emmaus, they said, we had hoped that he was the one who is going to redeem Israel. All of our hopes were in him, but now he has died. He's been crucified. He's been dead for three days. But their hopes are enlivened as Jesus makes himself known to them that he is alive, that he is there. And so this is not the end of the story. Um, And though it may seem that much of the mission of the Messiah is unfinished of the king, and in many senses it is, there is much yet to be fulfilled. We read in Psalm 2 that he's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron, and uh, the nations will be given to him as an inheritance. Um, Isaiah 9 says the government will rest upon his shoulders. He's going to rule and reign forever. And so as we think about that, we're living now between the already and the not yet. This king who came once is coming again. And he's going to fulfill what remains concerning his ministry as prophet, priest, and king. Turn, if you will, to Revelation chapter 19. And this is a very descriptive of that coming day when he will come again and he will judge his enemies and he will rule and reign and set forth in this is that he is indeed the king of kings. And uh, let's go back to verse 6, Revelation 19.6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints." And then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus 
worship uh, Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And now I saw in heaven, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his um, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. And then we see verse 16. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name that is written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In Ephesians 1, we were reminded this morning that God is going to bring all things together in Christ and he will, uh, he will bring about the end of all things and he will rule and reign and he indeed is this King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is the one to whom we belong. We belong to Christ. We are, we are under his rule and his care and, and what a wonderful place to be. Um, the question is asked in the shorter catechism, what is, what, um, what, how does Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. He redeems, he saves his people, he's the savior king, and he's the king that dies for them, lays down his life for them. He purchases them, he redeems them, and he sanctifies them. He is graciously ruling over his people. He makes them willing in the day of his power. To him is the obedience of the people. Um, he is an all-wise king. All knowledge and wisdom are his this is the one to whom we belong, and he is, in his own words, he is gentle and he is lowly. He doesn't overburden his subjects. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And though he causes subjects, his citizens, to action, he gives them rest from their burdens. He empowers them, and he gives grace to them. And in their struggles, he is a sympathetic king. He is one who gives aid to his people, and he ultimately will overcome all of his and all of their enemies, all of our enemies. There are a lot of things as we live in this world that might terrorize us. Um, we fear of kings, of kingdoms, military forces, nuclear weapons, but this is the one that we belong to, the one who has been exalted to the right hand of the Father, is going to come again one day. And so Jesus said at one point with his disciples, fear not, little flock. Just a little flock here. 
but do not fear, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. I'll take care of you. I'm going to rule and reign over you, and all that concerns you I will bring to pass. And so do not fear. God, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so as we think about that tonight, if we be in Christ, what, what a glorious thing to have him as our king, as our ruler, to belong to him is a good place to be. And uh, we look forward and we anticipate that he's going to come again and he is going to rule and he is going to reign in righteousness and judgment, justice, and he will overthrow all of his and our enemies. We ought to live as people of hope in light of that, that we belong to the king, to realize that our treasures are really not in this world, are they? <clears throat> so we hold on to them lightly. Let me close this reading. This is um, a quote about uh, from Ecclesiastes 3, that God has placed eternity in our hearts. That means that everyone hungers for paradise. No one is satisfied with things the way they are. So either you try your hardest to turn your life right, uh, to turn your life right here, right now into paradise, and it will never be, and therefore, uh, and it will never, and it will never be, and therefore, because driven and you will be driven and disappointed or you will live in this broken world with rest and peace that comes from knowing that a guaranteed place in paradise is your future. You know that God is working his eternal plan. He is moving things toward their, eternal, uh, toward their final conclusion. You can't see it every day, but you know it's true. In the middle of your sadness, there is celebration because you've read the final chapter and you know how God's grand story is going to end. We belong to the king and he will rule and he will reign. And so in the midst of this fallen world, we have been born again, as Peter says, to a living hope and that living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we look forward to that inheritance that he's promised to us when he comes again. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed uh, with a word of prayer. I know it's been a long week and a lot of you are tired, and so we'll let you out a little.